case from the Shuroku. Yu Feng's head and tail, introduction. Those with supernatural power and marvelous activity can't step in. Those who have forgotten externals and eliminated thoughts still can't lift up a foot. Let us say that sometimes there are the running dead and sometimes there are the sitting dead. How can they be made complete? Main case. Tension. Monk asked Zhu Feng, What is the head? Zhu Feng said, Opening the eyes and not being aware of the dawn. The monk asked, What is the tail? Zhu Feng said, Not sitting on an eternal seat. The monk then asked, What about having the head and no tail? Zhu Feng said, After all, it's not precious. The monk asked, what about having the tail and no head? Zhu Feng said, though satisfied, you are powerless. The monk asked, how about when the head and tail are directly well matched? Zhu Feng replied, a descendant gains power without knowing it. The verse, a compass for the circle, a ruler for the square. With use, it functions well. With neglect, it hides. Stupid and bumbling, a bird dwelling in the reeds. Going back and forth, a ram caught in a fence. Eating others' food, sleeping in one's own bed. Clouds rise and rain falls. Dew collects and turns to frost. The jade thread is pushed through the eye of the golden needle. The embroidered thread unceasingly vomits from the shuttle's guts. The stone woman stops weaving, and night's color turns toward noon. A wooden man travels the road. The shadow of the moonlight have reached the center. I want to welcome new friends, old friends, and all of us. It's good to be here. It's, uh, it, feels, it feels very encouraging, actually, to begin Ango with such great spirit. There is clarity. There's clarity within the obscurity, within the mess. That's what makes it so powerful, that we're not waiting to, for the mess to be cleared up before we can have clarity about what we're doing. We're not waiting for anything. Today's the day. Right? So today, we set foot on a 90-day journey the journey that beautifully captures the interdependence between collective efforts and individual efforts. And it's a very peculiar journey because there is no destination. Yet, 
it is focused on the fact that we are constantly moving and changing. There is a journey. Where are we going? Right? And although it has no destination, there is a path to follow. There is scenery to be aware of. And as in any journey we embark on, there is the mix of excitement and trepidations. It's all part of it. Right? Trepidations of the unknown we will meet along the way. Because we have never done that. We've never taken that journey before. All of us. Even those of us who claim to have done Angol before. Right? It's not Angol later, it's Angol that passed. So it's real that we have never done that before, we have never been here before, and we don't know what we will encounter. So the trepidations are somewhat justified, which is fine. It's part of the whole package. You know, so having a destination or a goal can produce enough fuel to keep us going when we lose momentum. But in the case of an angle, it's a different kind of fuel. Right? It's not fueled by an idea of a destination. Actually, it's made of two, mixing two main ingredients. Clear intention and unwavering determination. Those are fundamental. Raise clear intention, knowing that it also has to include complete and total determination. Right? So if you have been here before in sense of in terms of facing thirty 90 days or three months ago, so you've been at that point of looking ahead, you know that these two ingredients are essential for staying on the path because you look at what we have done, thinking, well, I've taken on these commitments, worked with them for a little while, and then something happened, or something happens. And when that happened, Something happened to my commitments. Right? So we understand very well the point of maintaining the vitality of our commitments, meaning they must be alive. You know, we often say, I want to do this, 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 and that. But what does it mean, I want to do something? And what does it do when I say I want to do something? You know, I, I told a few of you last couple, past couple of weeks that my ear is the closest to my mouth. And I'm the first one who hears, the closest that hears what I'm saying. 
And I may actually fool myself to think that if I say I want to do something, I'm actually doing it. It may be soothing. But is it creating movement, momentum, power, strength? Or is it just another way to fool myself? To think that I am actually doing something. There is no I want to do. There is either doing or doing something else. Those are the options. Because we always do something. And if we do it with resolve, with intention, with clarity, we get good at it. If we do it without clarity, we also get good at it. But we're here because that's not how we want to practice or how we want to live. So maintaining the vitality throughout. And so on a personal level, we need to raise that clear intention in regards to commitments, to the commitments we are planning to uphold, or work with. And also, we need to be realistic, right? And to know these commitments will be challenged by everyday life, by what happens, and maybe first and foremost, by our habits. Right? It's really our habits that meet everyday life that meeting point creates the challenges. It's not us, because we have the power. It's the us that identifies with the patterns. That one. For this one, there are different kind of challenges. So that's another thing to be, to be clear of. Right? And we need to, this is where we need to sustain the unwavering determination and keep going forward no matter what happens. Not wavering, not judging, and not creating standards on our own, which we're very, uh, we, we, we're very quick to do. I know what's best for me. Well, I hear it often, and I'm sure we all hear it often from the mouth we walk around with. I know what's best. And this is where the individual efforts and the collective efforts actually meet or should meet and interpenetrate. Now, the purpose of practitioners like us gathering together to embark on that journey together is to unite the power each of us brings in and develop kind of a sangha strength that can help sustain the individual momentum. So when we do lose momentum, there is the sangha to turn to. There is accountability as well. So although I'm trying to deceive myself, if we maintain Sangha connections, if we understand what is Sangha about, then maybe I won't fool myself for too long. Or maybe a, a Sangha friend 
Dharma brother or sister will be a mirror and show what is, not what I think. Show what's really going on. Show what I really need to work with, work on. Right? So we need to keep our eyes open, tighten up the slack, and get up when we fall down. Get up when we fall down, over and over and over again. And not stay down thinking, I messed up, I screwed up, I'm not good. That's the immediate automatic thought that comes to our head. Or I'll go somewhere else. Because I'm not good or because it's not my path. So after falling down, there is getting up. Nike does one of the most important things we learn. Because we always fall down and we always get up. This part of the practice. Sometimes wonder how many times during a class, maybe you pick, figure that out, how many times during a class we actually fall down. Do the math. Take five minutes and multiply that. You don't have to <laughs> count the whole hour. But the point of that is that for the one who is falling and the one who is getting up, falling is not a failure and getting up is not a success. And it's very important to free ourselves from those kinds of judgments. We need to keep going and we need to keep each other on the path. To keep it together. Not just to come, get together, sit together and then go back, crawl back to where we came from until the next time we, we meet again. But stay in touch, keep connected, encourage each other. All of us, not just me, with each of you. Each of you with each other. Remember, there's a, in, in a boot camp, in military, there is a term, you probably remember that, to iron. Work together, and, and working together is essential in military, obviously. And when sometimes you wake in the middle of the night and you have to start hiking, with all your gear on, you're exhausted, and there's always one, two, or three people that lag behind. And if the commander sees that, the officer sees that gaps are opening up, you go back to the base and you begin again. And actually, that can happen over and over again because that's why it's called ironing. Like you just go back and forth until there are no gaps until everybody feels accountable and connected and is there to help. Actually, that, would mean, that may mean carrying somebody on your shoulders. Because if somebody is really exhausted or sick or whatever, or, or throwing up, everybody has to chip in, carry, move on together. And that's the point of a Sangha. It's not to uphold the tradition as much as upholding the life of it. Because if we don't do that, 
one, two, three of us will start to veer off and maybe won't practice anymore. And what happens to the life of the Dharma if one, two, three, or four people don't practice anymore? The life of the Dharma in our lifetime diminishes, not the Dharma. That light shines continuously. It's just that it's about whether or not it manifests in our lives. So we're here to keep each other together. So there is the individual, personal commitment or power, and there is the Sangha power. Right? So it's a mutual, it's a manifestation of the mutual penetration between the individual and the collective, between the one and the many. In action, not conceptually, alive. We lose ourselves to the collective, to find ourselves through the collective, as one with. And at the same time, absolutely powered by your own two feet. And there's no negation. You know, it also manifests in, the, in our tradition, mostly in our tradition, every time we, we sit with the Sangha. Before Zazen, we bow to the cushion, acknowledging and raising appreciation to the Absolute, to the practice of the Absolute, to now I return to oneness. Now I bow to the practice of returning to oneness. I raise that, the clear intention, that's what I'm here to do. And then we turn around, bow to the Sangha, acknowledging and raising appreciation to the relative. to each and every one as unique, as different, as separated. Two bows. Actually, those two bows say everything about what we need to practice and how we need to practice it. Now, we take it for granted, you know, especially if you've been here for a while, we just bow, we bow, sit down. But do we actually see, we, do we actually recognize the bowing as the practice or as a reminder to what we're practicing? Also, gasho, right? Put your hands together. You put the relative and the absolute together as a gesture of acknowledgement, of appreciation. Together, and then we bow. And actually, this gesture of putting palms together is not, it's interesting that it's not uh, um, isolated. It's, you can find it throughout the world with different cultures, different practice traditions, putting the palms together, uniting, or, or 
embodying unity through a bow. So that's another way it manifests. And actually our entire lives are nothing but a manifestation of those two truths. If we look, we see. Everything shows it, embodies it, teaches it. Whether we're on spiritual path or not, doesn't really matter. It's there. The difference, of course, lies in whether or not we express ourselves from a recognition of an undivided reality. It's nothing special. It's not that we have to go seek for it. We have to stop seeking so we can recognize it. In the Shobogenzo, there is a classical titled Dotoku, which means expressing what one has realized. In this classical, Dogen writes, all the Buddhas and all the ancestors express what they have realized. Expressing what one has realized is an ability that is not to be had by keeping in step with other people, nor is it some innate talent. Simply, whenever trainees thoroughly practice the way of the Buddhas and ancestors, then they will be able to express what Buddhas and ancestors have realized. While expressing their realization for others, the Buddhas and ancestors of the past continued their training and practice. That was their practice. That is our practice. And thereby, thoroughly awoke to the way in the present, we should also do our meditation wholeheartedly and do our utmost to practice the way. When ancestors of the Buddha wholeheartedly do the meditation of Buddhas and ancestors and undertake to put into practice the truth that the Buddhas and ancestors have expressed, their expression of what they have realized represents the efforts of three years or eight years or 30 years or 40 years as they express what they have realized with all their might. And you remember what Dogen says about progress, right? He says, it is not measured by deep or shallow, only by the level of commitment and determination to the practice. Only by level of determination of, and commitment to practice. That's all that's needed, actually. When he says, within these time spans, however many decades long they may have been, there has been no disparity in how such one, such a one has expressed what he or she have realized. Thus, when you become fully awake, what you will realize through your direct encounter with it will be in tune with the truth, because it's already happening. Because we already are in tune with the truth. We just don't know that we are in tune with the truth and we act as if we're not. <coughs> says our present efforts are directed by what we have realized of the way and by what we have personally encountered. It's a very important point, right? 
our present, eff- present efforts are directed by what we have realized of the way. Who are we serving? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we saying what we're saying? Why do we encounter those thoughts? What or who is directing it? And he says we pile up long months and many years of keeping to those efforts and what is more, we cease to cling to our past efforts over the months and years. So we cease to cling to past efforts It's not copy-paste mentality. It's fresh, it's new. So we find ways to bring up brand new, fresh efforts, different kind of strength that's relying on this, not on what was. The big difference. Because relying on what was, well, I know what I can and what I cannot do. But relying on what is, it's all open. It's all possible. There are no limits. Any limits we think we, there are, we have, are not from here. So we have to come back to this. That's why I I mentioned we have to streamline it. We have to streamline our existence to justice. Make it skinny, simple, easy. This is easy. I think you know what's not easy. So what Dogen says here is actually very clear, right? The kind of efforts we apply to each moment are inseparable from what we have personally realized. Now, personally realized, right? It's not what we read in a book, heard in a talk, studied in a classroom. Although those are upaya, right? Those are skillful means to direct us in in the right direction. You know, the, the not too much and not too little Logan speaks of actually has everything to do with our intimate experience of inherent unity. And again and again, we hear, we see, we recognize that it has to come down to what I'm doing and what I have personally experienced, meaning my efforts, the efforts I put in, what I choose to practice, what I claim I practice, And from that, to move. From that, to act. From what I have personally realized. And since realizations don't stop, right? You can realize and further realize and further realize. Then you're not realizing on what was. You're not, sorry, you're not relying on what was. You're relying on what you're realizing right now. Realizing, to make real, to shed light. Well, realize this, which means move from here. 
you know what we do with past realization, right? We very, very quickly get rid of them. Very quickly. Throw them away. Have you had breakfast yet? Yes. Now go wash your balls. Completely clean that nothing of that realization leaves any trace in you. So not too much, not too little. Neither being attached to this body, nor holding on to the idea that this body does not exist. Neither being attached to the form, nor holding on to what we think is formless. Neither to the individual as an individual, nor to the collective as a collective. And also what Dogen is saying, although maybe implicitly, is that for one who has not personally experienced unity, life will appear as a burden. And the efforts will inevitably be exaggerated. It's inevitable that we will do way more than what's needed at that moment. And, and maybe this seems as if, as if there are those who have realized and those who have not realized. And maybe we feel we're either on this side or that side of this issue. But it's not like that in reality, and that's not what he's speaking of. Because there are multiple degrees of realizations, multiple degrees of delusions too. Right? And Dogen is not concerned with the degree of your realization, right? As he says, the expression of what they have realized represents the efforts of three years or eight years, 30 years, 40 years, or one day. You practice one day, you put that to work, and you express that, or whatever it is that you understand after practicing one day, or one minute. And then again, you know, when we do that, it's not that it cannot grow in depth. It's just that the attention goes to how am I expressing this, not how am I expressing what I think I will realize in five years or 10 years or 50 years. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I may not even be there. And then he says, with all their might, they, have, they express what they have realized with all their might. And this is how we have to enter Ango. And not only that, this is how we have to meet challenges throughout an Ango period. With all our might. The hell with the fact I fell down. I'm going to get up. The hell with the fact I messed up, or I think I messed up. I'm going to get up. Get back on the path and do it again. And do it anew. Right? So practice one day, express one day. Practice 50 years, express 50 years. And in 
know, the degree to which we awaken to unity is not as important as the commitment to express what we have realized for the benefit of all. For the benefit of all. Now we often go back to the precepts and first of the three pure precepts, and I repeat this over and over, I vow to not create harm. I, I really truly think that most people on this planet would agree on that. Maybe naively I agree, I think that, but I think a lot of people would agree that they don't want to create harm. But then again, I say, I don't want to create harm. Great. Look at your actions. Look at the actions. Forget your words. Look at your actions. Do they match? I don't want to create harm. To practice with all our might, regardless of how long we have been practicing. Actually, it means to live life fully, regardless of how old we are, how long we've been around, and what we think we know. To live it fully, to be there fully, appreciate it. So we need to understand the right effort is actually born out of realization of unity. It's not tweaking things or changing things or doing or, or working on right effort for the sake of becoming more efficient as I mentioned last week I think no it's not about that it's a direct expression of unity it's deeper than we think yet it's much more available than we imagine. And the other thing is important I brought up in the email is that we should we should be careful in the way we are applying effort to, you know, so we don't sweat the sweating, right? So we don't make a big deal out of it. It's, it always comes down to whatever we commit to, right? It always comes down to putting one foot in front of the other. That's all it is. It's just nobody's asking anything else other than, we're not asking ourselves anything else other than be awake to this. Just to this. Just now. Pay attention. Only now. This moment. That's all that's required in practice. Because if we do that, we're aware. If we're aware, we can't be the one who hears the cries of the world. In other words, we are the ones crying and we are the ones whining about it. It's a very uh, a good loop. It feeds itself, actually. So right effort actually comes out of a, an inner sense of harmony between what is called the head and what is called the tail. It's another way to refer to that. 
And then when there is no inner harmony of these two, it's a mess. The introduction says, sometimes they are the running dead, and sometimes they are the sitting dead. What does it mean to die? What does it mean to be alive? You know, it's so easy to be completely lost in the ups and downs of everyday life and what happens, of the story. Very easy to drown in it. And actually be numb to the larger sense of reality. We become very self-centered, very self-focused, self-concerned. Me and my story, me and everything that happened to me or is happening to me. I'll get back to everybody else once I've figured out my life. Maybe we do figure it out for a little bit and a week later, it's a mess again. I'll get back to you guys when I'm done. And then on the other side, we can also lose ourselves to, the, to an experience of the larger sense of reality. And maybe escape or try to escape the ups and downs of everyday life. You know, dying on the cushion may feel a lot better than dying in the turmoil of our everyday life. It does feel better. But in either case, we're not fully alive and we're not fully free. And so the introduction ends with a, with a very important question. How can they be made complete? How do you unify the head and the tail? How do we realize in the midst of all this mess, without running away from the mess, and without rejecting, without denying, without creating mental idea of something that's better than that? It's the only place of realization. It's the only way we can realize. Or is the only thing to realize? Right? This is the question of our study and our examination. But do we know what we're trying to merge? Do we have a sense of what it is that we think we need to merge? Or what are we trying to mend or fix? And when we look at these two aspects of reality, right, we can understand the difference between a state of being that manifests right effort and a state of being that manifests erroneous effort. Probably better than using the word wrong effort. It's an erroneous effort. Or too much effort. In this koan, the monk asked what is the head? And Zhu Feng said, opening the eyes and not being aware of the dawn. And the footnote says, the light does not go beyond the door. The light does not go beyond the door. What's the purpose of a door? Why do we have doors? It creates an inside and an outside. And it has the ability to open and close at will. 
and allow some in and allow some and keep some out and actually differentiate between those who are in and those who are out I've got the light now go get your own I found it and I'm going to close the door and keep it within and enjoy it go get your own it's actually very common you know in our society go get your own because I worked for mine what did you do why should I share with you who are you right? it's an erroneous way of being but it's actually sadly very common So the light does not reach beyond the Zafu. That's sitting dead in the midst of the Absolute. Well, the head represents the essential world, or the Absolute world, of course, or Absolute Truth. It's very easy to become a golden cage. So then he asked, what is the tail? And Yu Feng said, not sitting on an eternal seat. Tail is a very interesting thing, isn't it? It's for animals, it's essential for everyday functioning, for survival, for balance, for grasping, world of flies, defend against predators, swimming, for expression. If you have a cat, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In the realm of the Buddha Dharma, actually, the entire, our entire body, or the body of a bodhisattva, is the tail. Or maybe on the more, the more simple terms, your whole physical being is the vehicle for expression of compassion. You know, when you read about people who find themselves in crisis situation where they have to, and they encounter situation where help is needed, and they go and do it, they take care of it. Afterwards, they would say that they felt their entire body being pulled to assist. It was not thought-based. Was, there was no calculation there. If it's immediate, it's immediate. The entire body is pulled to take care of what needs to be taken care of because we are one. And the way we express that oneness is by attending to what needs to be attended. And we see it best when, we see that expression best when there's no time for thought. There's no time for calculation. There's no time for pondering. Is it worth my time? What will I get in return? It becomes pure action very quickly. So the tail, you know, is a representation of our everyday life, everyday functioning, the way we are in the world, the way we move. And in our case, in terms of practice, is referring to the way in which we function as practitioners. 
But when he asked about it, he said, not sitting on an eternal seat. That was his answer to what is the tale. And it's not sitting because it is fully engaged with responding to the moment, the situation that the moment brings. Who has time to sit? And I'm not asking this from what it may seem, from the direction it may seem. Actually, ask yourself that when you sit, and then sit. Because nobody has time to sit. And then the sitting become, becomes mobilized, actualized, for the sake of all. And the monk asked, what about having the head and no tail? And Jiu Feng said, after all, it's not precious. Another koan, you may remember that. Monk asked, Hugo, when a crane stands upon a withered pine, then what? And Hugo said, on the ground below, it's a shame. It's a shame because this is where everybody else is. Crane, the white crane, standing upon a withered pine. You know the expression of withering out completely, exhausting your thoughts, sitting alone. It's a shame. Get down quickly. Burn that experience and move on. You know, it, it is possible, actually, to, to have deep realization and become callous, or maybe remain callous to others, or not allow the light to move beyond the cushion, close it in, keep it to oneself. Actually, realization can even raise a sense of superiority. You know, I see it in Aikido as well, and I think I told the story when I started Aikido practice, like maybe a year or two into it. Well, I started practice, I thought, well, here is a great path that leads people to freedom, leads people to becoming much more in integrated, more aware, more realized. All we have to do is just go on the mat practice. And so I was, I was, Riding with someone, I was getting a ride with someone who was uh, an advanced practitioner, practiced for many years, was a black belt back then, and I was just a beginner, a couple of years into it. And the guy was driving like a maniac, cutting people off and whatever, completely not in harmony with anything. And I asked him, but, you know, isn't that what Aikido is about? He looked at me, he says, are you nuts? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's sad, but it's true. And it's true and common that we don't make a connection between what can be a practice of realization, a practice of actually being there for us and everybody else, for ourselves and everybody else, fully. Interconnectedness, understanding interconnectedness, although we practice it on the mat, 
But to mobilize what we practice, take it out of, whether it's a dojo, a zendo, place of practice, that's the key. Not only the key, but the realization is not complete unless we mobilize it. And actually what makes realization precious is the recognition that there's nothing special about it. Or the recognition that you are special like everybody else. Right? But nobody wants to be special like everybody else. It devalues the world special, doesn't it? Well, come on. Give me some credit here. Right? Look at how many years I've been practicing. It's got to count for something. Well, he said, opening the eyes and not being aware of the dawn. Then the monk asked, what about having the tail and no head? And then he said, Jifeng said, though satisfied, you are powerless. You know, that's referring to practicing diligently, being committed to practice, to helping out others without any level of intimate experience of realization to some extent and actually sometimes this state is called idiot compassion right? there may be an intellectual understanding of realization but helping others without experiencing being one with others not only exhausting can actually be very harmful too Because you know, intellectual understanding may feel as if we, we got somewhere. But spiritually, we actually remain powerless, as Jiafeng says. Well, in a way, you know, if we can't free ourselves, how can we free others? How can we claim to be able to free others? Remember that you know the, the, the practice is not just about making another person's life more comfortable. It may mean actually to make the other person's life less comfortable in order to free the, the person from what they think they need. The bottom line is to free ourselves from what we have created or are creating and attaching to. But if we don't experience it, how can we do it? How can we not get caught up in a story? Someone else's story. Doesn't matter. Our own story, someone else's story. So then he asked, how about when the head and the tail are directly well matched? And then Zhu Feng replied, a descendant gains power without knowing it. Remember from our studies, when Buddhas are truly Buddhas, they do not need to be, they are not aware of being Buddhas. Chang Tzu once said, if the goat would know it's a goat, its legs would bump into one another and it would not be able to walk. 
if the fish knew it is a fish, it would sink to the bottom of the river. He said, the goat, the fish, and the mountain, and the river, know themselves in a knowledge that does not know itself. And he says, only humans try to know themselves through knowledge that knows. And that's why he cannot be human in the same way that a goat is a goat, a fish is a fish, a river is a river, and a mountain is a mountain. That's when all faculties, faculties are united. Everything is united. And then the movement is from there. That's not knowing. Zhufeng, Dogen, and Zhuangzi are referring to a very high state of realization when one lives in complete accordance with the surrounding reality. And that's to function without leaving a trace. This is where right effort arises from. Verse, <laughs> a compass for a circle, a ruler for the square. With use, it functions well. With neglect, it hides. Confucius once said to his main disciple, Yan Yuan, use it and it goes along. Neglect it and it hides. And this is taken from that. My actions are my only true belonging, right? My actions are the ground upon which I stand. How do we use it, though? How do we use it well? When the alarm goes off in the morning, get up. No lingering. Up. Right away. Go. Do what you do. Lose yourself to that. Lose the lingering. Lose the chatter. Don't wait until you lose the chatter before you get going. Get going and the chatter will try to catch up with you. Or maybe it'll go along, which is fine. Take it with you if you need. No lingering, no pondering. When it's time to speak, speak clearly. When it's time to shut up, shut up. Without feeling like you have been rejected, neglected. Pushed aside. And speak without feeling like you are on top of something. Or getting ahead of someone. Speak clearly. Be quiet clearly. Get up clearly. Sit down clearly. Nothing more, nothing less. That's how it functions well. And what's neglect? Going somewhere else, adding thoughts to the action, and getting caught up in the thoughts. That's neglecting. It's not complicated. Yet it is. To simplify. Right effort is relaxed effort.
stupid and bumbling, a bird dwelling in the reeds, going back and forth, a ram caught in a fence. And this is actually, this analogy is referring to us dwelling in concepts about reality instead of going directly to it, passing judgments about it, going to the judgments. We don't just dwell in the concepts, we actually trust them and express them, which leads to idle speech, a lot of wasted effort. Eating others' food, sleeping in one's own bed. In the commentary it says, one who, ha who can eat people's food with cool mouth is hard to find. Now what kind of concepts do we feed on? What do we eat? And the footnote says, better spit it out. Spit it out. Cool mouth. As opposed to hot-blooded. Putnot also says, avoid forming roots. Well, the interesting thing is our, our societal and economical structure is encouraging us to actually do exactly that, to remain asleep within a dream. And because we are so conditioned to function in this way, we do that with the practice as well. And again and again, this is going against the grain. Hence, the difficulties we, we, we encounter. Clouds rise and rain falls. Dew collects and turns to frost. There's a similar expression in a verse, in another koan from the Mumonkan, collection, when the sky clears, the sun appears. When the rain falls, the earth gets wet. Now, Buddhism observes reality as is, and it says it as it is. And it is asking us to look at the truth that is right in front of us and add nothing to it. All that Buddhism does is just shows. Here it is, wide open. What more do you want? What else do you want? Not enough? Not yet? Not today? Later? Okay, later. The jade thread is pushed through the eye of the golden needle. The embroidered thread unceasingly vomits from the shuttle's guts. The stone woman stops weaving, the night's color turned towards noon. A wooden man travels the road, the shadow of the moonlight have reached the center. Everything fits perfectly together, including our complicated lives. What it's saying is that the canvas of reality is woven with horizontal fibers and vertical fibers. What we call form, what we call formless. And the inherent beauty of this fabric comes to life in the way the absolute and the relative merge. Both are essential
for the strength of the fabric. Both are essential. Horizontal and vertical fibers. And the last two lines of the verse express the mutual integration of the head and the tail and the interpenetration of light and darkness as we chant in the Sandokai. Light and darkness are a pair like the foot before and the foot behind in walking. We chant it, we practice it. Now we have to live it. You know, Maizumi Roshi used to say, you're doing it anyway, you might as well appreciate it. Simple words, right? You're living anyway, you might as well participate. Be there for that. Don't go anywhere else. Stick around. It's interesting. No promises, but it's interesting. Right? Who knows what's going to happen? But be there for that. See what happens. So lots to work on, which is wonderful. Lots to look at, lots to examine. Very precious, beautiful. So let's enter this angle together and we're gonna unpack it as we go along and figure out how to keep ourselves on the path, keep each other on the path. And Taiken will help us with that. Or so he told me. Right? Okay. His name means peaceful sword. It means he's got both sides. So you better watch out. Because who knows who he's going to pull on you. So, yeah. Let's do that together and let's really enter, enter strong, enter with vigor. So in three months' time, we get together to close this ango. And we have gotten a little deeper to this. 